and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 67th episode of the podcast for the week of August 26th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I am so happy to welcome back Florida-based evolutionary astrologer and delightful goddess of wisdom, Christina Caudill, who will join me in a discussion on middle of the road, the Uranus opposition. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access to the podcast for as little as $1 per month, or even show notes if you'd like a written forecast, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar if you want to make a one-time donation to support the podcast. To find that, you can do so over at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week waning down to a very sliver in the watery and security-oriented domain of cancer. (laughs) That was hard to get out for some reason. She will then move into the creative fires of Leo on Tuesday evening and will cruise along this fiery space, lighting an introspective blaze until simmering down into the practical earth of Virgo on Thursday evening and where she will go on to make her new moon conjunction shortly after while we sleep here in North America. She will then begin her waxing cycle once more, pushing off of Virgo and into Libra midday Saturday, and where she will remain for the rest of the weekend. Now, just a quick heads up. All time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe at about eight hours, and if you are in Australia or the East at about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. Well, my friends, this week we have Venus, Mars, the Sun, and Mercury all making trines to Uranus. We also have Venus making a trine to Saturn. Uh, And of course, Mercury ingresses into Virgo and how he can even make that trine to Uranus. So we'll have a lot of planets in Virgo starting this week. And of course, if there wasn't enough Virgo, we'll also be having a new moon in Virgo, start a whole new lunar cycle this week. So let us waste no time and dive right in. On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Cancer, and she'll make a very, very, very early morning sextile 
to Venus and Uranus, uh, and then make an opposition to Saturn later in the day, and then a trine to Neptune in the evening. And just a quick reminder, uh, Venus will make a trine to Uranus, which I talked about in last week's episode. Uh, So just to recap there, uh, you know, Venus, our goddess of love, is the first one touching down on this Uranus action and kind of kicking things up, you know, kicking that Uranus uh, awakening uh, towards us. And Venus is asking us to open up and attract that Uranian principle into our lives. Um, So, you know, just know that she is starting things off fresh this morning on Monday with that trying to Uranus. And then the other planets are going to follow suit. Uh, So rather than going back over that, we will just move on to, you know, who is next in line. So the bottom line for Monday is is that the majority of this week has us waning down the lunar cycle, making this an incredibly intuitive and self-reflective time, particularly why the moon is in Cancer, for we will feel our emotional selves that much stronger. And with all this planetary energy contacting the liberation energies of Uranus, you know, Luna's midday opposition to Saturn may have us feeling a bit hemmed in by our responsibilities or issues of security or insecurity. So know this is a passing phase if you feel a bit down or depressed at all. But it can also stimulate us to make emotional decisions around what we want for the long term. So there is that plus. Now, an evening trying to Neptune will make things very sleepy, I think, and and possibly quite intuitive. So spend some downtime to tap into the spiritual energies that are flowing in. Now, on Tuesday, the moon is still in Cancer, but we'll go into Leo around uh, almost 5 p.m. here on the Pacific Coast. Uh, And the only aspect she's making that day is an opposition to Pluto that basically happens while we sleep. So the bottom line for Tuesday is for, you know, watch for any intense dreams as Pluto will be making an opposition, uh, you know, while we are fast asleep. And so that can bring some um, uh, dream work that can help, you know, purify and root things out. Now, once awake, expect this to be a two-part day as we are, you know, spend the first half still in the sensitive and subjective realm of cancer. But then we're going to move into the heart-centered and at times dramatic (laughs) warmth of Leo later in the day. Now, we are likely feeling the Mars-Uranus trine uh, later in this evening as the lunar energy is going to be moving towards a tense aspect with Uranus all day. So expect a bit of, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a different evening as the energy quickens and our passions are stirred up. You might want to do something different. Or there might be some disruptions that take place if we are not, you know, flexible with what it is that is in need of change. So try switching things up um, specifically on Tuesday evening, even if it's just your viewpoint. (laughs) All right, so Wednesday, the moon is in Leo, and we'll square Uranus while we sleep, and then uh, during the day, we'll trine Jupiter. But also of note, we have Mars making a trine to Uranus, who is retrograde. And so Mars is next in line following Venus here. And so Mars, just a recap, this is our, you know, focused action. This is where we assert ourselves, where we put our drive and our motivation. Uh, And then sometimes that can bring some anger and aggression to the surface as well. And of course, with the trine, there are no obstacles. This energy is flowing and all boundaries are removed. And so where is Mars, our warrior uh, archetype flowing? Well, 
back to Uranus. And so I'm just going to recap Uranus once since it's Uranus all week. But Uranus is that planet of fast, unexpected change. It's where we turn around. It's where we awaken. uh, And we want to free up things or liberate our energy in some way. And a lot of times that can create sudden storms in our life as we're trying to shake off the energetic debris that is, you know, kind of weighing us down or holding us back. Um, But it has a very innovative um, force to it, too. So, Now, I will say that note that Mercury is changing signs, you know, in the middle of the week. So Mercury is kind of dictating a lot of this Virgo energy. So these early week trines between Venus and Mars... Uh, while Mercury is still in Leo, it might look a little bit different or feel different um, or our minds are processing differently once uh, Mercury moves into Virgo and makes the rest of these um, connections. So just an FYI on that. So here we have our second planet to reach its trine with Uranus in Taurus, as Mars, now settled in Virgo, makes a flowing connection with the Great Awakener. Now, Venus recently made her infrequent conjunction with Mars, um, you know, over uh, the weekend last weekend, and then she went on to try and Uranus, you know, earlier on Monday, uh, which has allowed us to open up to freeing, uh, you know, freeing things and, and practical creative insights that are really aligned with cleaning house, you know, both uh, literally and figuratively. So now Mars comes around to put those revised desires in place and is receptive to taking action. Now Uranus, known for its lightning-like quickness, can heighten our reaction speeds at this time, so just be aware of that. And we may make split decisions as we weigh our heart's vision with what is needed moving forward. And so if there is any anger or frustration at this time, it can be a clue into what is in need of liberation in your life. We may feel called to cut some dead weight now that we have, you know, greater insight at play. And as the moon wanes down in her cycle and Uranus sits retrograde, we can easily release and lighten the load internally to make way for what's next. So the bottom line for Wednesday is, with Luna humming along in Leo and making a trine to Jupiter, we are experiencing an emotional harmony that is inspiring us with enthusiasm and passion for what the future holds. We are in search of freedom and expansion in our lives and may get fired up if anything stands in the way of that. Think big today. Embrace the abstract, for there may be creative solutions when the parts rearrange to make a new whole. And that's a hole with a W. (laughs) All right. So Thursday, the moon is in Leo still, but we'll move to Virgo uh, around about 5 p.m. again. We have a lot of changeover at 5 p.m. this week, it seems, at least Pacific time. And along the way, she's going to make a conjunction to Mercury. Also of note, Mercury is ingressing into Virgo this day. And we also have the sun making the trine to Uranus. Uh, So let's start off with that Mercury ingress into Virgo, which will happen at 12.48 a.m. here, Pacific time. So basically, you know, it's in there once we start this day. Now, the messenger is returning to one of its home signs to join the planetary pileup that is already in Virgo. And Mercury is the last to enter, and once it moves in, Virgo season is likely to be on hyperdrive with Mars, Venus, and the Sun all looking to Mercury for direction. Now, our mental faculties and communicative approach will take on the details as we concern ourselves with the specifics at play, and we will be ripe for finding practical solutions that can help alter the reality of our everyday lives. 
Processing is likely to be quick, particularly as Mercury trines into Uranus and is at a high-speed moment in its orbit as we prepare for the upcoming Mercury-Sun conjunction, which will happen in Virgo and conjunct Mars, just FYI, on September 3rd. So be aware that there is a bit of combustion uh, coming on, and even if we think we are seeing all the parts, there may be uh, bits and pieces of our understanding that get scorched by the Sun. Yet overall, if we take our time and up our levels of discernment, we'll find that this is a high period of productivity where we can wave our wands to make magic. So Mercury will be in Virgo until September 14th. Now, with the sun trine Uranus today, so we've already, we know what's going on with trines and Uranus. Now, so, so the sun is following the footsteps of Venus and then Mars. Uh, and so the sun is our life force. You know, this is where we turn a page and where we gain that awareness and that, uh, you know, like the solar light just shines and we're like, ah, okay. <laughs> so uh, now that the solar light comes around to make its trine with Uranus, um, you know, Venus has already opened us up and Mars is getting assertive and ready to make cuts. And so we are probably going to get a refreshing dose of that aha awareness around how to bring more authenticity into our everyday lives. Our life forces are seeking a, you know, a more independent and liberated way of being. And this can be a very fruitful time for downloading solutions that support our plans for change. So keep a pencil handy and take some time out to meditate as the moon goes dark, for there can be a pragmatic potency to our intuitions at this time. So the bottom line for Thursday is is that here we have another two-part day as we spend the first half in ambitious Leo before evening falls and Luna settles into retiring Virgo. And we are quieting down and seeding into the new moon. So this would be a perfect time for meditation and checking in with the self, for there may be keen insights and innovative fixes that come in that, you know, can help the energy that will be moving forward in just a few days' time. So definitely take that time for yourself if you can. Now, on Friday, we have our new moon in Virgo uh, taking place, like I said, as we sleep. It will happen at 3.37 a.m. Pacific time. Um, And so basically, Luna is going to try in Uranus, conjunct the sun, which is our new moon, conjunct Mars and Venus, try in Saturn, square Jupiter, and oppose Neptune all in a 24-hour period. So, you know... Put that in your put that in your pipe and smoke it, as my grandma would say. <laughs> All right, so that new moon, six degrees and forty-seven minutes of Virgo. And so this new moon will seed as most of us sleep here in North America. So Friday may feel quite refreshing when we wake up and have an integrated uh, you know, we've integrated a week's worth of Uranus energy uh to basically push off with a fresh start. And so the overall vibe for this lunar month contains a super Virgo signature, with the moon looking to Mercury, who is now in Virgo and is on approach to be the last in line to make a trine with Uranus. Now, once this lunation fuses, I think we will feel as if our reality becomes two different worlds, as we still have remnants that need to be purged um, and revised agendas that we seek to put into place. So consider this a month of purifying your processes, both internally and externally, as Uranus seeks to shake off any excess debris so we can get closer to the integrity of the self. And sometimes that requires a practical regrouping within the body, mind, and spirit. 
Now, of course, I always write a new moon and full moon article each month. And so, you know, come on down to energeticprinciples.com and sign up for my mailing list as I will be posting a more in-depth take on this new moon later in the week. So the bottom line for Friday is, is that, you know, what a lineup (laughs) on the new moon. There's a lot of energy taking place. And so we will get a lunar taste throughout the day of all the planets, you know, Mars, Venus, the sun, and Mercury, who will interact with this lineup. And new moons are typically quiet, yet I think this one will have much more activity to it than usual, even if it is happening in a more receptive way. We are hyper-aware emotionally of where we want to flow long-term and where we want to push for growth. And the evening opposition to Neptune may bring up the desire to escape a bit, so indulge in a good movie, or maybe do what I'll be doing, and that's going to a music show. So now Saturday, 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 we have the moon in Virgo, uh, and then she's going to move in Lib- into Libra. And so you guessed it, <laughs> almost around 5 p.m. here on Pacific Coast. Uh, but along the way, she's going to try in Pluto, but that's going to happen super early while we sleep. So the bottom line for Saturday is, is that here we have another two-part day as we catch our breath from the day before. And with the first part of the day in problem-solving Virgo, we may be emotionally entertaining a lot of ideas that are coming to the forefront. Once Luna moves into Libra, we will attempt to find the balance within it all. And if life isn't as harmonious as we desire, we will be extra feeling it now. However, if we are feeling good, we can firmly know where we stand. And so this would be a great evening to spend with friends and loved ones so we can air things out and brainstorm our new moon desires. Now, on Sunday, the moon will be in Libra and will square Saturn and sextile Jupiter. Now, on Sunday, we also have the uh, Mercury making its trine to Uranus, and we have Venus making a trine to Saturn. So, okay, so now we have the messenger, you know, uh, how we perceive things, how we communicate, the news that comes in, or information, or learning. And so it's making a trine with this awakening force of Uranus. And so now our lunar cycle is ready to seed in the new. So having Mercury last in line to make the trine as we kick off a new lunar month, you can bet that our minds will be racing with all the things we want to free up in our outer realities, while also receiving ideas that can help shape things up moving forward. Basically, this last half of the week would be very wise to keep a pencil handy or your notepad app at the ready, for we will be downloading a plethora of perceptions that seek to innovate and purify whatever parts of our world uh, that have become stale or rigid or are lacking movement. And our minds are alert, and we'll likely want to share our findings with others, uh, you know, as the moon moves through Libra. So we're going to be very connective. Now, with Venus also making a trine to Saturn, you know, Venus, once again, is that relating principle, uh, you know, how, where we open up, how we attract things in, and how we uh, balance and harmonize our lives uh, through beauty and a sense of value. Now, once again, with this a trine, you know, nothing is stopping this. This is a week full of trines. Nothing is stopping these things from happening. Um, and so where is Venus flowing to? Uh, well, Venus is looking at the long term. She's looking at what she's she's committing to, what the structure looks like, um, you know, opening up to her own inner authority and being open to maybe consolidating things for the long term or taking responsibility. 
And so, you know, now speaking of the moon moving through Libra, you know, because Libra is ruled by Venus, uh, that is really supporting our Venus-Saturn trine as the goddess of love becomes the first to start the succession of Saturn trines that are on their way. So much like all the planets that are trining Uranus, we're going to experience the same thing with Saturn. And so she's getting serious and ready to buckle down and commit to what she desires to manifest in the outer world. And if relationships went through or are still in need of a bit of reconfiguration, this aspect can help strengthen our commitments through changing things up. Our value consciousness has been revised, and now we can create a practical internal foundation that can be built upon in the, you know, these areas of life. And so the bottom line for Sunday is that it is a Saturn-heavy day as Venus trines in and the moon in Libra creates friction with its square to Saturn. So don't let inflexibility or harsh judgments get in the way of opening up to a new foundation that helps stimulate growth. Our emotions may go through a few paradoxical shifts as we feel out the constriction of Saturn to then move towards the expansion of Jupiter. Yet, hopefully, we'll be able to weigh things objectively and see all the potential and the possibilities that are before us. Now, to wrap all this astrology up, you know, fresh energy sweeps through the cosmic space as we clear our psychic space to free things up in the outer world. Solutions and aha moments are likely to come in if we allow for reflection. So consider this a week of awakening that helps our new moon seed in a lunar month that supports authenticity and revitalization. So now let's look, take a look at those cards because they always add a little something, something to the week. And so this week I drew the Knight of Swords as the focus and the Magician as the grounding. Now, with the Knight of Swords as the focus, this seemed like a rather fitting representative for this week's plethora of Virgo energy paired with trines to Uranus and Taurus, because uh, this knight is on the go and has his intellectual sights fixated on an action, idea, or ambition. And like a bird of prey diving in for its kill, we are honing in on that determination. And we are ready to get things moving. And if there is any sort of conflict in our way, we are will likely dive through it. And so we are focused on our goals intently, yet it would be wise to take our time and be thorough, as this night can be a bit hasty and may jump to conclusions from time to time. And, you know, speaking as a Uranian person, uh, there is a haste to Uranus, so just FYI there. Now, with the magician as the grounding, this really speaks to the Mercury-ruled Virgo planets, you know, because Mercury is the magician after all. So making, you know, all those Mercury, uh, sorry, all those Virgo planets are making all those trines to Uranus as we seed into a magic-making new moon. And with Mercury moving into Virgo, you can bet it is especially potent. And so we are working from the foundation of our resources and grounding ourselves in our willpower so that we can create the things that we want out of life. And if you are ready for your reality to change, this is the week to make moves towards that. Dead weight is freeing up so we can take back our power and allocate it towards what needs our intensity of focus most. So let the action commence. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the weasel. The worm's right there, is she? Uh-uh, I'm a weasel. <laughs> Weasel, weasel, and weasel, 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 and 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 weas
Ah, yes, this slippery little mammal is here to tell us to pay close attention this week to what we observe. How Virgo. (laughs) As there is a wisdom in our bodily senses that can help guide us to greater truth within any situation that we may find ourselves in right now. At first, I wondered, uh, you know, is a weasel a rodent? And I quickly found out that not only are they not a rodent, they eat rodents for supper. (laughs) So it looks like our little carnivore here is pairing up with the bird of prey from the Knight of Swords to hone in on our kill this week. So put those senses on hyper-aware. The key is to find awareness through observation without getting caught up in judgments. So do your best to detach enough to sense and feel out what is in need of discernment. It may be quite beneficial to take the time to do some breath work or a walking meditation of sorts to hone in on all these quiet and sensory details that are becoming increasingly available to us. Because you know with Virgo, it's all in the details. So, all right, my friends. Well, you know, this is my weekly Patreon spiel. (laughs) So if you would like to support the podcast, I encourage you to check out my Patreon, where I have three, uh, four tiers now, where for $1 a month, you can get early access on Sunday to the podcast. For $3 a month, you can get my show notes to this forecast, so you can reference it at any time uh, during the week. Now, for $6 a month, you can get my new program that is Patreon-only called Astro Storytime, where I share charts uh, and examples and tell stories about people's lives and certain mundane events, and we look at the astrology of it all. Uh, and so I'll have a new episode coming out of that very shortly here. And of course, for $8 a month, you can get everything I just said. And so uh, I encourage you to check that out. So where can you go? You can go to patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I'm so happy to welcome back this week's special guest. We have Christina Caudill. Thank you for joining me again, Christina. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you back. This will be uh, Christina's third appearance on the podcast. Um, we've spoke on such things as Chiron in Aries, I believe. And we tackled some Scorpio stuff, I think, uh, in yeah. what, October, November of last year as well. Um, but uh, if you haven't heard her before, Christina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, again, thank you. It's such an honor to be back on your show. Um, I am an astrologer out of Tallahassee, Florida is where I'm living now. I'm an evolutionary astrologer. So the focus is on person-centered and soul-centered astrology. Um, And I just really like to go deep, you know, go for the depth. Um, Astrology is such a vast area um, that, you know, there's no way to learn it all and know it all. Um, it can be lots of fun, especially those of us with a lot of Gemini in our chart. You know? <laughs> it can be um, a real fun exercise to explore um, all the areas of astrology. But, you know, I guess it's my Scorpio moon. I like to dig deep and I like to really know the why, you know, why am I here? What is it all for? What am I meant to do and how to bring more meaning into life? And I think that's the beauty of what evolutionary astrology can help people to um, gain some clarity on. Mm, 
I love that. And my Scorpio rising definitely appreciates the depth <laughs> of going places, you know, because that's the thing is like uh, getting to, you know, diving deep and getting to the root or the essence of who you are or what this is all about is very rewarding for people, um, especially if you are more inclined to uh, dive deep. You know, some of us are more inclined to do that than other people, but I think everyone can benefit from it. Um, but it never ends, right? Our Mars and Gemini, uh, Christina and I have the same Mars and Gemini and the curiosity is always fueled, right? <laughs> it's our so, passion. It is our passion. <laughs> um, now, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, middle of the road, uh, the Uranus opposition, um, which there's a couple things that indicate the middle of the road <laughs> as far as astrology speak and what we consider the midlife crisis. And so I'm really excited to talk to Christina about this today, not only because I personally am about to go through this in a couple years' time, but I believe, Christina, you're going through it or you I'm in it, honey. I am in, in it, it right now. <laughs> we are going to hear it from the horse's mouth today of what this looks like, um, and especially within, uh, you know, just where Uranus is now, because obviously this kind of has generational tones and flavors to it, too. Now, before we get started here to follow up, I've been asking everyone about what got them into astrology? Like what sparked your interest in astrology? Like, did you ever have that defining moment, Christina? <laughs> Let's see. Um, I remember years ago, I used to go to a metaphysical bookstore and um, just to get some answers. Uh, I mean, this was in the in the 90s, early 90s, um, I would just go to whoever, you know, was in, you know, they have like a tarot reader or like an astrologer or yeah. like a who's a who or what's a what. And I would just go and, um, you know, whoever I resonated with, I would get like some insight from. And, um, but there was an astrologer who really sort of piqued my interest and I started kind of learning some from. And then at one point I was at a dinner party where there was a woman who'd said, oh my God, this astrologer just blew my mind, just told me so many amazing things. Um, he's the best. And um, I asked the woman later, like for his name, and um, you know, she kept trying to skirt away from it and not give me the name until I almost had to threaten her. Um, who is this guy? And he was an astrologer out of New York City. And um, I ended up being his client for a number of years. And yeah, it was that, you know, he would tell me some things that would blow my mind um, that would come to pass or um, things like that. But then, you know, eventually I did hit sort of a little a limit there because my question was, what would bring me satisfaction? You know, what is it that would make me more satisfied with my life and what were, was I meant to be doing? <clears throat> Excuse me. And this particular astrologer couldn't help me with those questions. You know, he would just tell me what was likely to happen and what was likely to happen, I'd already been doing, you know? Yeah. So to me, I was kind of like, there's got to be more. And it was when I stumbled on um, things around the North Node and, you know, the outer planets that gave more about the context of life rather than just the content of it. That really sort of awoke something in me um, that really actually shifted my view of astrology from being something 
that was kind of fun and kind of like, oh, wow, this is neat to this can actually help me to live a life with, you know, more meaning and a life that's more authentic to my soul. So um, that kind of put me on the path to really taking astrology seriously. Yeah. And then, so you just dived in at that point and, and had kind of an entry, like, cause it's interesting uh, hearing other people's stories. There's not a whole lot of people that I've uh, heard had interaction with a uh, practitioner at first or got uh, readings or consultations. It's more about finding a book or maybe you're born into a family that's interested in this. Um, So that's an interesting take that you actually, I guess that kind of speaks to the Scorpio moon too, you know, that one-on-one with someone else until you discovered that something was missing for yourself um, within that interaction that you wanted. And you know, it's interesting, like, (laughs) I even had a mentor for a long time who had said he never even paid an astrologer for a reading before. And I was like, whoa. So I came from it from the client side because I never thought I would ever be an astrologer. I remember the first time looking at my chart thinking, there's no way I could figure that out. Um, I'll just have, I'll just pay someone to tell me about it. Um, And it was a number of years before I actually even was like, okay, I really want to kind of figure this out for myself because I felt like there were things that this guy, as smart as he was, as astute as he was, he wasn't quite getting. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't really quite get the phrase right or, you know, the hone in on exactly what the person is thinking, especially when the astrologer is just telling what they see rather than it being kind of a give and take conversation. You know, so that's why with my sessions, um, I really encourage it to be a collaborative effort so that I can really get a lot more specific so that we can get more clarity on how the astrology is actually coming to life in the person's lived experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I spent a number of years as a client and then I spent a number of years as um, an apprentice. And I, you know, for me, getting out there, putting myself out as an astrologer, um, that took the greatest leap because I just thought, you know, it was never something I could do. You know, it was like too weird like for me. To be- <laughs> but, you know, fate intervened and my back was against the wall at one point and I was kind of forced to put myself out there and start charging for my services and everything really just unfolded from there. So, and I see that all the time. I see some very talented people, talented students um, that just, you know, there's something stopping them. They're in their own way. And sometimes it's just those moments of grace that just have to happen. Mm. And then all of a sudden, everything just unfolds with ease. So, you know, you just really have to take that first step and, and just trust in that. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely resonate with that side of things. It took me quite some time before I would, you know, I would do things for, you know, friends and and what have you, but it was actually kind of like what you're saying until there was, my back was against the wall within other aspects of my life. And I was kind of closed in and this was almost the only way I could go that held promise. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, and so I, I totally get that. And so oh, that's an interesting, I like that story and especially the consultation side and being the client first before mm-hmm. <laughs> diving in to be that, the practitioner. So well, yeah, because you learn not only you know how you'd like to conduct your sessions, but also what not to do or what kind of astrologer <laughs> you don't want to be. Um, I would say I had like four teachers really 
um, before actually launching myself. And they were all men actually. But um, And I, I actually really did learn some really great things from them about boundaries and about valuing yourself and charging for your time and things like that. That with women we have a you know we tend to have a harder time with, um, and you know it's not always just a female male thing, but in my you know practice I tend to see that. Um, but it's really just you, some of the most valuable experiences is how I don't want to be um, in my sessions. And then I also am a life coach too, and so I have that training, um, which you know I've kind of developed my own practice, but. It really kind of all this work that we do on ourselves, you know, I try to remind people it's not self indulgent mm. if it will eventually lead you to creating, you know, your own special thing, you know, that includes your special gift, if it includes astrology or whatever it is, is your gift. Um, you know, just keep following that thread and go where it takes you. Mm, I love that because we uh, we can tend to forget, especially when we have kind of a scientific background around things or this formula gets you this, but astrology is a very creative process and everyone is going to be different within it. And that's why we do have the variables of like, <laughs> you know, the things that could be said about certain things because there, it's a creative aspect that's coming from within the person that is then, you know, delineating what it is that they see. And so we can't forget about that as well. So- yeah, and if we're only working, even if we're just working with, you know, 12 houses in the natal chart, you know, and 10 major planets and how they all aspect each other. I mean, if that is supposed to represent everything that life has to yeah. offer, you know, every potential of life, then, you know, there, there can't be just one way of viewing it. And, and, as great as an astrologer is, you know, I might be, my client is coming from a completely different perspective, which hopefully, you know, they were drawn to me because something about my work resonated with them. But ultimately, you know, each person is their own universe. Um, and so we need to be able to kind of just have an expanded view of what any natal chart might be because, you know, as much as we're our own universe and we don't understand every corner of our own (laughs) universe, then, you know, each person that we interact with is in that same position. I love it. Yeah. What? Oh, I like that. This was a very rich story. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, speaking of, I don't even know what we're speaking of, but now we're going to speak about Uranus and the Uranus opposition that happens to everyone if you make it to a certain age, which we hope you do because it's not that old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although sometimes it can feel old and why we call it the midlife. <laughs> I told my husband at one point, I said, I, I had mentioned something about we're in our second half of life, you know, 40s. And he was like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, how long do I expect to live? You know, I don't know if I want to be, you know, that much older than 90 something. I know you start to do the math and you're like, oh, okay. No, that is (laughs) when you just double it times two and you're like, oh. I just realized that he's Leo rising. So he's like forever young. I'm Capricorn rising. So I can't wait to get to my crone years. So, (laughs) well, and that's actually what I was thinking, especially as you said that, you know, for us that have Capricorn energy and might have been like kind of more, you know, old soul to begin with or, you know, or just uh, more inclined to em- embrace age 
or maybe find benefit within it. Because that's the thing is, I mean, I think I'm inclined to embrace age, but at the same time, I did definitely have moments, uh, especially at Saturn, Saturn return, but really Saturn square, Saturn square, Saturn, where I was just like, Oh my God, this, this is not going backwards. This is only going forward. And like, you start to feel that, that mortality. And I had, and had been working at that time and created projects with people that were about eight, nine years younger than me. So I was also feeling it on that level because mm-hmm. I, even though I wasn't that old, I still was in this space of being somewhat of a, a mentor um, and, and getting that comparison of working with people that, yeah. So yeah, you, you, we're just getting older <laughs> every day. Um, so now the, when the Uranus opposition comes along, so just the principle of Uranus, what's going on there, Christina? What does Uranus bring to us or stimulate? Yeah, well, you know, Uranus is the great awakener. And so it's meant to help us awaken to something, to something that we are asleep to or in denial about or unaware of. Um, And, you know, Uranus transits, when we think of Uranus as being the great liberator, right? Um, And it symbolizes freedom and where we can be free. Um, we also, you know, everyone tends to think like, oh, I can't wait to be free. I just want to be free and liberated. But then when we have these experiences happen to us, you know, we're, we're not making the call there. They can be nerve wracking um, because what true freedom is, is, you know, non-attachment. Um, and sometimes that can feel like we're not secure, mm-hmm. uh, where we don't know where to go to be rooted. and um, we have to just, we have no choice but to be on our feet and live in the moment. Um, and that can really be exciting. But um, when you're in your 40s and yeah. you just, <laughs> just want to relax, then um, that, it can be nerve wracking. But the thing about it coming in your 40s, the Uranus opposition, is it is that chance to be young again, to rewrite the script to start over again. Um, It was interesting. There was some book that I had read. um, I remember it was recommended by David Sedaris, um, which I thought it would be hilarious, but it was kind of like a dark comedy or whatever. (laughs) And it was about, I forgot the name of it, but it was about all these middle-aged people that they were um, child prodigies or something. You know, they, they knew each other when they were in summer camp and they were all really talented or whatever. And then they get together later in midlife. And then um, one of them said something like, uh, this is the time in your life where there's no, uh, there's no new starts or something like that, or there's no way to start over. Um, and that's just in your forties. But, um, you know, Uranus opposition actually tells us that yes, this is the time. It's kind of feels like now or never because you start to feel your mortality. Mm-hmm. And and you know, it's kind of like if you're in a room that's all white and you walk into a room and all you see is all white, you know, and so you don't know how big the space is. And then someone comes in and say you little puppy in and they run to the corner of the room and then you get a sense of space mm-hmm. you get a sense of scale you get you know a sense of where everything is in relation to um you know the space that you're in and to me that's symbolic of you know when you're in the second half of life 
And then you start to say, okay, I don't have forever to live and I want to make the most of this. Um, and that can come with a lot of different feelings, you know, maybe people have a lot of regrets or people, you know, feel like, um, you know, they want to live like they're uh, young again. Um, for some people, this is about finding your pleasure, finding your joy. Um, for other people, it's the time to just become yourself, become more of yourself. And people experience it in different ways because, um, you know, if I don't know if you've seen those movies from like the 80s, it seems like I don't know why in the 80s, it was always the guy with the midlife crisis, the sports car, (laughs) sports car, (laughs) young blonde, the toupee, you know, all this stuff, the toupee. Which I'm told men actually still get two days now. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and um, but it's you know, and that to me is if you've been towing the line, living your life the way society says you should, or doing what you should do, you know, being an adult, doing all that stuff, and then the Uranus, which is about you know, being totally authentic, maybe having to go against the grain, maybe being different, maybe even being mocked. But it's all about being fully yourself, um, feeling free, free to be yourself. Then, you know, if you haven't been experiencing that in your life, then it can be a huge shift. Then you can just be grasping at anything, anything to make you feel alive again. Um, I think those of us that are, more Uranian because Uranus um, represents astrology in my view. Um, it can be a time of really a full expression, a full bloom of that Uranus in your life, you know, the Uranus path that you've been following. Um, and, you know, even more so, even more than you're expecting. And it doesn't have to be scary. So far, it hasn't been too scary for me, but there have been times of just a sense of, you know, if anything tries to hem me in or keep me caged in or anything like that, or suppress me or oppress me, I'm just not having, you know, um, that's so far how, how I've. Oh. <laughs> now, are you on the first pass, second pass? Are you getting a couple? The first. Or the first? I'm the first pass. I mean, I think it's, it was exact like recently. So, it's, it's, you know, by the minute, it's essentially exact now. And then, you know, what's interesting though, is what you said about, you know, your Saturn return, Saturn square. Hmm. Um, what happens also for a lot of people, when my second pass comes next year, I will also at the same time be having the Saturn opposition, which happens for some people, it comes like around that time. So, you know, you've got Saturn... Um, that wants you to conform, that wants you to be disciplined, that has, you know, its own rules for you to follow. And Uranus is there to break the rules or to reinvent, you know, the game, reinvent the rules. Um, and so I, I, I think there can be a very beautiful balance between the two. It's like, can you still experiment sort of within the system, you know, or do you have to overthrow the system entirely. You know, I think it's really up to um, how that sort of is, how you experience the Saturn and the Uranus. But a lot of people, a few astrologers have um, put together, which I'm exploring now, when you look at your Saturn return, which was at age about 29, and how that was a time to, you know, adult, at least from, you know, a... a (laughs) 
threshold from what you were experiencing yes. from being, you know, tied to mommy and daddy in the home and the family. You're separated from the home and family. You're uh, defining your role in the world and in some ways stepping up to it, in some ways having to really face potentially facing some karma. Um, and then there's something that kind of solidifies in us at that time, usually. And then the Uranus opposition comes and we're meant to totally, again, break free from the story, from even the society's imposed uh, roles for us so that we can create our own roles. And so I forget who it was, was an astrologer looking at, um, it was Rosa Parks. Did we, I don't know if we spoke about this before, but Rosa Parks, um, when she had her first Saturn return was the time when she was really tired. She was on a bus. She was um, told to, uh, oh, wait a second. Something happened where she was left from this bus driver. He left her out in the rain. I don't know if it was she had to get out of her the seat because it was a white man that wanted it. And basically at the end of the day, he left her out in the rain and that was so humiliating to her. And she was so just, you know, disgusted by that. But then shortly thereafter, she signed up with the NAACP and she became an activist and she trained as an activist and she got the skills of an activist, which she was with NAACP her entire life. I think she died in like 90 or something. That was the beginning of the Saturn story for her. But then at her Uranus opposition, what had happened was she, by that time, she was an experienced activist. She went on that same man's bus from you know all those years later or all those years before. And uh, when he tried to tell her to get out of the seat so a white man can sit there and she refused... She went and made sure that she got her, this is one story, that she had her photos taken when she was being arrested for that. And, you know, because an activist knows that if it's not photographed, it didn't happen, right? And so that is what kicked off the entire um, civil rights movement. And so there was a thread there, you know, from the first time that she was, at the time, the bus driver was in the right tell her she had no right, you know, mm -hmm. to be sitting in the white section. And then after all these years, she realized that she has her own agency, her own freedom, her own dignity, and, you know, screw what's quote unquote right. I'm doing what's right for me. And there was a thread there with that story. Now, we might not all have the same, you know, yeah. <laughs> thread that connects to the exact story, but I would look back at your uh, Saturn return and how that is impacted with your Saturn opposition, you know, looking at, I'm sorry, your Uranus opposition. Yeah. Well, and even the Saturn one, to be honest, because yeah, and then the Saturn yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting story to pair it with, especially that Saturn Uranus dynamic, because I mean, essentially mythologically speaking, they're very much tied up in one another because, you know, Saturn is the child of Uranus and is the one who castrated Uranus <laughs> um, basically to kill his father. And so there is the, the principle of that, uh, you know, individual and that authenticity that we're talking about 
versus this, you know, uh, the, the rule and the order and the system. And like you said before with Rosa during her Saturn return, you know, that was the rule. That was the system. She wasn't in the right um, technically because that's the way society was set up. But like you said, when she got to Uranus opposition and she had that free will and that agency um, to kind of stand up and be like, no, this is, this is not, you know, this is not right. We're back to the, the activists. Just because it's a system and it's a thing that's in place doesn't mean that we should abide by it. And so there is that principle of going back and forth between what we abide by and the rules and the systems, we, you know, that are set up in the world and that we've set up for ourselves. Because that's the thing is, like you said, we, you know, we're not all Rosa Parks in the back of the bus here. Thank goodness, you know, bless her for everything she did uh, for stepping up. But for some of us, it might be within our own systems that we've had in place in our lives that are get challenged at this time. And so um, now I don't think we said about kind of the timing of this because the timing can vary depend because of Uranus's crazy orbit and what, <laughs> what it has going on. And so, I mean, you can encounter your Uranus opposition anywhere from what, about maybe 30, 30, yeah, 38 to about 45, maybe, depending? Probably, yeah. I tend to see people at, yeah, maybe 39 to early 40s. Um, let me see. I think I've got it in... Um, I think Erin Sullivan's book has like, you know, she's such a great... Um, yes, I love her work. ...of uh, the, you know, all the orbits and stuff. But yeah, so you'd want to just see by degree where Uranus is opposing your natal Uranus. And, um, but yeah, most people, I think it tends to be early 40s, early to mid 40s. Yeah. Now I know the 38 time frame, late 30s, that's usually the Pluto square, which to me is absolutely fascinating too. And that is eliminating all that is, um, you know, decaying and dying in your life, uh, even to the point of, you know, an ego death, you know, this is the death and resurrection. Um, I think that's one of the most profound transits and kind of like, you know, now, some people have these different transits happening, like you said, like one before another or whatever. But I'm happy that the Pluto square happened before my Uranus opposition because it's kind of after the Pluto square, it's kind of like you can, you can do anything. Like, <laughs> yes, because it's almost like you get almost anything, you know, excuse the term, but you kind of clear out the bullshit almost before you, you know, when you have that Pluto square. And that's actually something that really fascinated me, um, you know, based on these orbits of these outer planets, because depending on what sign they're in, um, they might have a little bit of a longer period in that particular sign, which can affect their orbit of when we're going to get a square opposition from them. So I actually started thinking about this um, and how that might actually affect certain generations and people differently based upon the order that they receive the, you know, the so-called midlife crisis. Because basically we're talking about the Uranus opposition for the most part, but also there's that Pluto square Pluto that Christina just mentioned. Uh, there's the Saturn opposition, uh, which Christina just mentioned earlier. And there's also Neptune square and Neptune. Square. Mm-hmm. Yes, which I'm going through right now. I'm, I'm in the Neptune. And so really I, st- I was like, okay, well, let me look at this. So how is this going to go down for me, you know, order wise? And so for me, I had the Pluto square back in like 2016, 2017, at about 37 years old. Uh, around the time that I had the, um, right after I had the Saturn, Saturn square. 
And then now I'm having a Neptune square at 40 years old. Uh, I'll have the Uranus opposition at 43. So I have a few more years to go there. Um, and then I won't have the Saturn opposition until the very end when I'm 45. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and I started to think about that trend, you know, like, oh, okay, working through Pluto, working through Neptune, then working through Uranus, and then working through Saturn. And so that's going to give a different energetic signature than someone who, say, maybe started with Uranus or, um, you know, like. Yeah, started with Neptune, I Neptune. think, seen some that do, because. Um, now the Neptune one can be tricky too, because for some people it can be, for me, it was quite subtle. I mean, you know, it seemed to be this subtle underlying, you know, like maybe dissatisfaction or not really being able to just really engage with light. you know, it's kind of like too much water that kind of puts out the fire a little bit. Um, and, and for some people that can just feel like, uh, they don't really know where they're going or they're not getting there in the right time or they don't even know what their time frame is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good to know that it's there and that, and what the purpose of it, of it is. And the purpose of it is to really explore the spiritual side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is where spirit comes and kind of takes the wheel and is like the wind that is blowing that, you know, if you can catch your sails to it, then you can sail along with it. Mm. Well, I like it uh, because, um, I mean, Sam Reynolds has had an interesting take on it. When I saw him at uh, Norwalk, he was talking about Neptune, square Neptune being about uh, kind of popping bubbles. Um, And I like that with the idea of the spirituality aspect of it, because he had one, you know, how, you know, we put it down some bullet points on a slide and you're like, it does this, this, this. And one of the things that he had down there was sagging flesh. (laughs) Oh my God. I was laughing because I'm like, because that is a reality. Like the older you get, you know, you only have the same elastic elasticity to your flesh. And I think that really ties into what you just said about taking on the spiritual component of it, because we don't have the bodily as much, you know, we see that this, it's not all about, you know, looking good and being young and, you know, you get the reality that, you know, things are are breaking down a bit and you're, you know, things are dissipating and Flesh is sagging. God forbid. No, he's got to be right because at the time I loaded up on all this collagen, like powder, <laughs> collagen. And it's funny this morning, I was like, I have all that stuff now here and I don't even like take it anymore. I was like, man, I spent so much money on that collagen. That's hilarious. <laughs> My Neptune square. That's so funny. Maybe I'll have to buy it from you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. And so I think that's why he talked about popping bubbles because we are taking on that spiritual uh, aspect and we are looking at dreams, you know, that maybe haven't been realized, but also looking at ideals that might never be realized because now we know, you know. (laughs) The disillusionment, the disillusionment. But you know what? And now that I think of it, it's because with the Neptune, you know, to me, I think it's good that, at least for me, I've had the Neptune square before the Uranus opposition because the Uranus opposition is more coming back to life. Whereas Mm -hmm. Neptune, for a while, you're kind of anesthetized, but you kind of don't even get the sense of like, you you know, how I said the scale of the room that you're in and Mm -hmm. you have limited time. In a sense, you know, it's eternal, but sometimes some of the greatest psychic, um, you know, discontent can be when we feel like 
We can do anything, but we don't have the real fire to choose one thing and to, you know, or the courage to say no to other things to then focus on the one thing because, you know, that dissipated sense of, of Neptune. Um, and, you know, some people that come to me that have some of, you know, that are in a real um, sense of like deep anxiety are the ones that are like, you know, I've, you know, I have all the money I need. I've, you know, or I'm retired and I've taken good care of myself and I can do anything, but I don't know what to do. And really that can be, that can be incredibly depressing and you can have a really hard time really finding that life force again. But, you know, when, if we can see it as an opportunity, you know, to explore, you know, where does my soul seek satisfaction? Where does it seek nourishment and nurturance? Um, and how can I um, maybe even be of service in ways where I can give of what I have? Um, hmm. If we can look at Neptune as an opportunity to, to be spirit, to bring heaven to earth for a time, hmm. you know, where there isn't the pressure of deadlines and timelines as much, you know, and it may feel like it's coming from the outside, but in some ways, you know, you may be in that protected bubble for a time with it. Yeah. And it's interesting so far on this end. I mean, just thinking about it, I am, I am pitted against some of the things that I, you know, I've envisioned for myself in life. And, and, you know, some of those still ring true. Others, I'm like, like really more than ready to let go of some things that I've done for, you know, a, a long time and, and maybe still holding on to with like physical things or aspects there. Um, but also, you know, for me, I have uh, Neptune, square Neptune in the second and the fifth. Uh, so I'm looking at my creative projects that still need, you know, you know, I like still have this vision that they have to be completed, but also looking at uh, the, the confidence to do such things because, you know, having Neptune in the second natally, you know, that can, you know, Neptune dissipates and that can dissipate sometimes that, um, you know, that, that confidence or self kind of assurance to go and, and, and do something. Um, or, or, you know, kind of that value consciousness too. And that's changing for me as well with that, at least where my Neptune, Neptune square is going on. Um, but of course, it's not necessarily about Neptune, Neptune, but it is, and it's interesting that both of us are experiencing that before the Uranus opposition, right? So that is, that does color our, our experience with the Uranus principle after we've already gone through kind of the Neptune in between space, um, and maybe some of that discontentment or disillusionment or looking at the ideals yeah. or the sagging flesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're on supposition, you just don't care. Care. <laughs> That's the good thing with your on supposition, I think, of like, I just don't care. You know, it's like you, you stop caring. Um, you stop you caring through it all. You stop caring. You know, it's you're in this kind of like space of like, you know, if I'm truly to be free, I can't be limited by those things anymore. Mm. Um, not that they don't matter at all, but. Um, uh, in a way, you know, you're ready to sort of catapult yourself into a new space. I mean, anytime you have any kind of Uranus transit, um, I find that it's helpful to get excited about it because that's the best way to um, engage with it mm -hmm. because it wants you to be excited about the new 
you know, of, you know, the unexpected. And so much in our, of our lives, you know, that, that is part of what we seek, you know, this thrill seeking. Um, and, you know, maybe it's a time for us to celebrate. I really think it's a time to really celebrate being alive and having as much freedom as you can and, and play with the idea of freedom. What does it mean to be free? How far can you push your freedom? You know, how far can you push your weirdness? That kind of thing. Well, and it's interesting to go back to like what you were saying about how, you know, we have the, you know, midlife crisis or kind of the Uranus opposition in our mind, kind of like an 80s movie where, you know, the guy's driving in the fast car and, you know, he's having an affair or whatever. And, and maybe that is actually some of the Uranus, Uranus opposition that took place, you know, in prior years based on these Saturnian principles of having a family and the woman raising the kids and the man being at work. And now, you know, maybe the relationship's disconnected or he's just, you know, has the burden of, of everything he's trying to uphold um, or the reverse for the woman who's been in this position for so long, you know, giving herself to the kids. And so I think we got those stereotypes because really the, the world was based on those type of like, this is what people did. This was, you know, our uh, societal system. But it, it makes me think of where, you know, the Uranus opposition is going um, as far as like what midlife is going to look like. Because, you know, you see people this, this day and age and even starting with our own generations of people either um, maybe don't have kids. Um, I think me and you share that in common, right? You're, you're, uh, we say child-free, child-free. And uh, I like that much better than Spencer. Yes, (laughs) me too. But also, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are having children later and developing family lives, you know, in their late 30s, early 40s, which is another kind of like midlife crisis in a sense where you had all this time to yourself and now you're like, uh, so I don't know. I just started thinking about how that might change what that looks like in that cliche, you know, man in a sports car type of thing. Yeah. Well, ultimately with uh, Uranus, we see a need to shift the dynamics and shift the paradigm, Mm -hmm. you know? So for instance, when people have Uranus coming up to their descendant, you know, their seventh house cusp of like relationships, I see a lot of people freak out like, oh my God, am I going to get a divorce or is my, you know, boyfriend going to leave me or whatever. Um, And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, Yes, we tend to think of Uranus as being separating, but it really wants a shift in dynamic, a change in paradigm. Um, sometimes that can lead to, you know, relationships breaking, but it can also lead to just, you know, something in the relationship needs to change for it to be more authentic. Mm-hmm. Like with my husband and I, at, you know, he used to have an art gallery and I worked for him. And then when Uranus came up to our um, composite descendant, then he went to work for me. <laughs> you know, he started doing my, you know, web work and editing my podcast and things. And I noticed that, that like, that was like the shift. And it was kind of natural for us because we've always been like, kind of like a give and take kind of. Mm-hmm. And he has Uranus exactly conjunct his son and I have it sex down the son. So Uranus, you know, <laughs> we're used to Uranus. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an important point though. Are you used to Uranus? Because I, I mean, I have Uranus on my ascendant, so I'm going to have Uranus return on my descendant <laughs> as, uh, so I'm gonna have a similar type of situation probably come up there, but I also have Uranus trying my son, sextile my moon, 
um, square Mercury and Jupiter. It, it's doing a lot of things in my chart. And so that's another thing we have to take into consideration as we're looking at these you know, cycles. Um, because uh, Uranus opposition for me is probably going to have just a bit more potency <laughs> than maybe someone who has Uranus kind of buried in the charts, not making a lot of aspects. Maybe it's not angular. It's in a cadent house or something along those lines. It's not that it won't do anything. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> It'll do things. Uh, but there, it might be a, a level, um, but even a leveling up, if you're already a Uranian personality, then you're, you know, you're getting back in touch with that kind of Uranian component in yourself. And so that's kind of why I'm personally quite interested to see how it's going to play out for <laughs> several reasons, but um, just because of how potent it is in my particular chart. So, mm-hmm. we shall- so you have, it, yours is in uh, Scorpio, I imagine, natally. Yes. Right? And so, uh, six or 17 degrees. I'm 16 degrees ascendant, 17 Uranus. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> right, right there. Um, right up in there. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, I think we were going to talk about how Uranus coming into Taurus. Yes. You know, that's the thing. That, that's what kind of ticked me off. I didn't have a whole lot of um, time to see people in my generation before me. Right? <laughs> But I was very much trying to pay attention to see what some, you know, people in the collective or celebrities or whatever that that had Uranus and early Scorpio going through. Um, Because the generation before that uh, with Uranus and Libra, um, I mean, Uranus and Sag, and then it being opposing in Libra, you know, there was a lot, obviously, you know, shifts in relationships and things like that. Um, And, you know, for any individual, obviously it's going to be about them aligning with their individual sense of liberation and freedom. Um, But as a generation with Uranus and Scorpio, you know, Scorpio is um, the depth. It's Obviously, we think of our sexuality, our sexual desires and needs, and beyond even just sexual, but you know, our unconscious, our soul level desires, um, even a sense of you know maybe trauma around it. Um, any kind of hard Uranus aspects can signify trauma. Um, you know, and in Scorpio, there could be some deep emotional trauma, maybe even some concerns around issues around abandonment, you know, or betrayal, things that Scorpios do not like. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And, yeah, you betray me, you're dead to me. And um, yes. really come up in you know in really significant ways but what i usually see with uranus is it can help us to again liberate from where we have been stuck around it especially that seems to be the theme to me of uranus transiting now in taurus taurus is where we've been stuck where we've been clinging to things even where the wounds that we cling to you know suddenly we can just let them go or just think differently about them or, you know, or they don't hold us anymore. They don't have a stranglehold on us so much anymore. Um, You know, it's, again, these transits can be, they're a process, you know, they're, cause they're going to be happening over a couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like, 
one horrible thing or one wonderful thing. I mean, I've seen people have, you know, windfalls of money, a tourist thing, or suddenly where they thought they were secure in their survival or money or relationship, then suddenly the the situation changes. Um, So it's, again, a a whole life process, you know, it's sort of the overall picture of your life for a couple of years, but it's calling you to open up to more authenticity um, and to do things differently and change things. Because what I found is that um, I just, all of a sudden, even though I thought I had my life organized in a certain way that was nice and comfortable, I would get just such dissatisfaction with everything being the same, even though I should like it this way because I'm very Capricorn, I'm very earthy. Um, all of a sudden, I just, I want to change it up. I want to, sh- and it's something that's even coming from within me. Mm. Um, and so uh, rather than just, you know, throwing over the table and like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, just looking at ways where I can invite more, more experiences into my life, more experiments in my life Mm. and um, not care so much about how they turn out, but just sort of celebrate the experience of it. Yeah. No, I like that. And I mean, it will, yeah, the Scorpio Taurus thing, you know, and just for those of you, uh, you know, for a little reference space, um, for those of us who were born with Uranus and Scorpio, you're looking about 1974, 75, it kind of went in and out of signs uh, through 1981. So if you are in there, you're probably in that uh, Uranus and Scorpio. And especially for those that are like 75, 76, I don't know if you fall into this, Christina, uh, but having the nodal access in this. That's uh, yes. So I imagine that to add, uh, add emphasis to this whole mm-hmm. process, just because even if it's not exact by degree, it's still highlighting the polarity between the two signs, uh, which are already very important to you, you know, in the, in the soul's journey. Um, and so that, you know, I, Scorpio is all about, you know, kind of transforming the energy and going through transitions and maybe even letting go of things that are quite deep, uh, and especially emotional processes or even relational ones, you know, because water likes to merge versus that Taurus of holding on to things and like that stable, like you were talking about. It almost kind of has a Uranus Saturn to it, even though, you know, both of them are not ruled by the those signs. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you know, Taurus can hold on um, and, and just be like, but this is safe, secure, stable, peace. But does it give you peace? That's the question. And then that's where the, the, the fury comes in. And that's actually what I really liked about, uh, there's a fantastic book um, uh, called The Gods of Change. Do you have that one, Christina, by Howard Sassfordus? Yeah. Oh, I don't have that one, but I heard it's excellent. It's really good. Out. Pain, crisis, and it's really good. Pain, crisis, and crisis. <laughs> <laughs> right up my alley. <laughs> um, but I liked what he said in this uh, to think about um, because uh, the mythology behind it, uh, where Uranus was, you know, the, the essentially the first god or the god of the sky, and he had Saturn, was one of his children, and he didn't really like his children, so he's kind of suffocating them, keeping him in the womb of Gaia, and then Gaia was like, I can't take all these children in my womb. (laughs) So she got Saturn, a sickle, and he castrated him. Anyways, so he castrated his father, Uranus, and then through the blood of the castration, the Furies were born. 
And so the furies are these things inside us that are, you know, the, you know, envy or anger or, you know, kind of this relentless, like, oh, that won't let up. And so I loved what uh, Howard Sassfordis was saying about um, uh, kind of, you know, Uranus opposition rises up the furies. And so either the furies are within us and we're feeling like resentment towards a situation or kind of envy of this, or, you know, we feeling this way and it's disrupting us and it's relentless and it won't let go. And then when we free ourselves from it, right? Like we're, we do the Uranus and we're like, we're freeing ourselves from this. Then chances are, then we encounter the furies on the outside because once we get to that in individuality and that authenticity within us and we make those changes, chances are we have to deal with the retaliation and the relentlessness or the resentment or the anger that comes out outside of us through those decisions. And so it's kind of this back and forth between Uranus, Saturn, and, uh, you know, the Furies. And so the question is, do we seethe inside (laughs) or do we fury things up to possibly encounter that Fury outside of us uh, within our partners and, you know, the outer world? And so that's where the opposition, you know, because oppositions, essentially it's dealing with some shadow aspects something outside of us or reflection of some sort that we have to go through. And so I thought that was very interesting. I love that. And especially, you know, when you're dealing with Scorpio, there's usually a lot of projections um, going on, you know, shadow projections. And so if, you know, Uranus may bring up, again, dissatisfaction, impatience, resentment that um, we project on someone else. This person is keeping me down. They're oppressing me. They're keeping me from being free and expressive and blah, blah, blah. And so I just need to get rid of them. But then, you know, you may realize that maybe there's something within you that is seeking you know, to project or to blame on someone else rather than truly expressing what you need to express and and taking real responsibility for that, Um, you know, regardless of the consequences. And anytime we deal with Scorpio, it's these initiatory experiences, right? Um, And so it's a real shift in the dynamic of who you are being, you know, I really feel like the, the ultimate goal is for these midlife crisis transits to help us to really become an elder worth claiming, which actually I love that phrase from um, Stephen Jenkinson, you know, is we don't have elders anymore in society. We, elders are missing and it's because we're not claiming ourselves as elders. And in in order to be an elder worth claiming, we need to see ourselves as going into these initiatory experiences where, yes, it's about us, but it is more than us. It's bigger than us, you know? And the archetype that we're becoming is, you know, we're, we're becoming the, I feel like we're in the queen phase because, you know, there's the there's the maiden mother crone stages of the woman and some time ago they they inserted the queen because going from the maiden to the crone is like sort of jumping yeah. off a cliff there so this is the queen phase you know and it's really claiming your sovereignty mm-hmm. but with freedom comes responsibility I think that is the key that we're missing. And even in this country, you know, we've got the Statue of Liberty, 
but we need to balance that out with the statue of responsibility. I forget who said that. Some, <laughs> um, someone's brighter than me said that, but, but I truly agree with that because we see so many people arguing for freedom. Like, you know, I should have it because I want it. I mean, we were talking just before we got on here, you know, I just spent a couple of weeks in France and wow, I really fully experienced that, you know, in places like Europe, there's just this consciousness that what I do affects everybody. It affects my neighbors. It affects, you know, my uh, community. It affects the country. I can't just make decisions for myself because it has an impact on others. Whereas in America, it's like, if I want it and I have the money, I should have it. Yeah. You know, I should be free to have whatever I want because I want it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, it's, I think we feel like if we're responsible for others, you know, I don't want to be responsible for anybody else, but ultimately we are because it comes back to us. And we're yeah. seeing that in our climate, in, you know, so much of our political and social lives, we're really getting that, that really hard lesson. Um, and so there's something about, you know, Uranus is also a collective symbol, you know, it symbolizes the collective. Mm-hmm. So as much as we are fully individuals, we're also part, and it's beautiful that we're part of this great network of the collective, which I think is even bigger than society or country or whatever. Yeah. It's the collective consciousness, you know, and how are we going to be um, fueling that and and cultivating that within ourselves? Mm, that's an excellent question. And I, I that's a great point too, because uh, a, we're coming back to Uranus versus Saturn again, you know, the freedom versus responsibility, because uh, to have such freedoms, you know, you have to think about the responsibility behind, you know, being able to do that. And I like the I, comparison with your uh, Europe as well, because I was just reading uh, on a post that Kelly Surtees made, because she just recently moved to Belgium. And I think one of the things she was talking about was the uh, kind of... like the different vibes she was getting from women over there um, and how there was more of an embrace uh, or an acceptance of age and honoring age and wisdom. And and I think that might be just something that we're missing in our society that is just driven on, you know, the youngest and the hottest and the richest and the, you know, um, and, and we're not... So I think it's a symptom of the society, which also comes back to the collective that you were just talking about. So it is, you know, it is a... A process that is going on within us. It is a process that's going on within who we encounter with in, on the outside, but also the collective um, sphere and just what's going on there uh, and in your own country um, and the societal, uh, once again, systems and rules and kind of what is accepting uh, or what is accepted uh, will color these transits for people in different ways. And so the question is, how do I move to Europe as soon as possible? <laughs> I will give you a tip. In France, there is a visa called Artist Talent or sort of Visa Talent or something where if you have a talent and apparently they love artists. Um, I have a talent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're very talented. Um, It's a four-year visa and it's it's renewable every four years. So... That is one way. That's just a little tip. Now I'm not. Did a, you just an spark my Uranus opposition. <laughs> <laughs> like the key there. 
Oh, I love it. Well, I, one thing that I wanted to point out though is that, you know, Saturn and Uranus, you know, they have such an interesting relationship and it's important that we don't see them as one is better than another because I do see that in some areas, um, you know, and even in, you know, more modern astrology um, because the outer planets are so fascinating and, you know, and of course in the midlife crisis or midlife you know, astrology of midlife, they are very prominent. Um, but, you know, Saturn has its its purpose, just like the outer planets do. Um, but I do think it's just very fascinating that, you know, we work so hard to align with our Saturn early on. I mean, it's imposed on us. Yeah. And then when these outer planets are really affecting us in midlife, that's kind of our opportunity. And yeah, we may want to just, you know, stand toe to toe with Saturn and like challenge our Saturn and challenge, you know, the Saturn that's like, um, that we feel is imposed on us. But, you know, really, if we can see all of these as um, potentials that, you know, in our palette, in our repertoire that we can work with and, and master and, and actually help them to thrive. And, you know, I had Lauren Alvandian on my web, on my podcast recently that said, you know, these plants all want something from us. They're not just, you know, there to punish us or, yeah, to, or yeah. to shape us in, in their view, there's something they want from us. And we can choose to, um, you know, work with that and, and become more of ourselves through that process of, you know, asking ourselves, what does this plant want from us? And you asked that in the beginning, and I really feel like Uranus ultimately wants us to be more and more ourselves, more authentically ourselves and expressive in that way. Mm, yes. And as a person with Uranus on the ascendant natally, I back that message up because <laughs> that's what I strive for in life. Like that's really a kind of a driving, motivating force for, for me as a person. So I definitely resonate with that. Uh, so, you know, it's bound to be an interesting time when Uranus comes and pays a visit to you. And of course, us, uh, our, us babies from the 60s, 70s, and 80s might get a little bit later um, in, you know, probably like, 41 through 45, somewhere in there. So, you know, check your ephemeris or consult an astrologer to find out more. That's what we're here for. Um, but, you know, if there's one thing, if there's one piece of advice, Christina, that you would leave people with, if you were like, one tip when you get to your Uranus off position, what would you say? Um, I would just say to really live in the moment with it. Um, which I have to say, I got that from Lauren Albandian because that was really the best um, phrase when it came to Uranus is be willing to live in the moment and to be willing to celebrate the opportunity of liberation and of feeling free. I mean, you know, how much of our lives do we spend thinking about um, you know, being judged or doing the right thing or what people are going to think or say. During your last opposition for a time, you kind of don't care. And that is, um, it's actually a real gift. So I would say just um, accept the gift and celebrate it. 
Oh, I love that. And I will remember that when it comes around. (laughs) And I hope that all of you out there do the same. So, all right. Well, I think we had a wonderful talk on good old Uranus here, along with some Neptune, Pluto, and Saturn. Everyone got their uh, fair share of talk today. Uh, So now, Christina, what do you have going on? Where can people find you? Do you have any uh, offerings currently going on? Yeah, well, they can find me at radiantastrology.com and on Instagram at radiantastrology. I do dailies and um, weekly starcasts. Um, I will. I also have my Radiant Astrology podcast, um, which I took a little hiatus this summer, but that will be coming online very soon. I'm also going to be opening up some subscriptions and a community, so you can always um, so check out my Radiant Astrology podcast so that you can join our community because um, I have a really awesome community right now in on Facebook at Radiant Astrology, but I really want to spend more time in there, so. In order to do that, I'm going to be opening up some um, subscription levels. So you can stay tuned for that. Fun. All right. So you're going to have to check out Christina at Radiant Astrology. And I know she does eclipse things from now and uh, here and there. Um, uh, so definitely look out for her when it's eclipse season because she will have, she, you've always got wonderful tools and offerings to share with people during Yeah. Well, I will say that, um, you know, we just wrapped an eclipse um, circle. I usually do eclipse circles every eclipse season and they're usually about somewhere between a month to six weeks long. Um, The next eclipses are coming during the holidays. Like actually one of them is right at Christmas. Um, And so I'm thinking of taking that off. You know, I'm not going to be doing an eclipse circle during the holidays, but right after in January, I'm going to be kicking off January 2020 with a program um, to really plan your destiny, to co-create your destiny in 2020. So keep an eye out for that because my January programs are always a lot of fun because people are really you know, raring to go. And that is when we have the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. (laughs) (laughs) That is the perfect time to be tackling that uh, in early January. All the the consultations that I do, I'm like lining it up and, you know, I do have like hotspot months and stuff and for everyone, January 2020. (laughs) Just like to be the blanket disclaimer for everyone. January so. So take the Christmas time to enjoy that time if you can and just be prepared to get going first thing in January. Yes. So I love it. All right. And so uh, in case you missed any of that or, you know, I always post a blog post with uh, our guests' information and, you know, what they have to share, uh, which you can find over at energeticprinciples.com. I'll also share a link to the book that I was talking about uh, by Howard Sassportas uh, because I think it's a fabulous one on the outer planets and transits, not just these generational transits that uh, Christine and I were talking about, but any transits that come uh, from Uranus, Neptune or Pluto. It's an excellent resource. Um, now, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. And of course, I have my Patreon subscription if you are interested in supporting the podcast, where for $3 a month, you can get the show notes to my forecasts so you can reference them throughout the week. Or if you want to join my new offering for $6 a month, which is Astro Story Time. And so every month, Mm-hmm. I release a video uh, with charts and stories about mundane events and uh, 
you know, people's lives and, you know, just interesting storyteller type of stuff. So you can find that at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Now I know there are a few people, probably a lot of people in this world that are going through these times that Christina and I are talking about. So share this podcast with a friend. You have a friend approaching midlife. They probably want to know this, (laughs) you know, so sharing is caring. And if you feel so kind to leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it. So, all right. Well, Christina, you're always a pleasure to talk to. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you so much, Melissa. And you're so generous with supporting all of your astrologer friends and, um, and all of your guests. And I really, really appreciate it. And I really value you. Thank you so much for this oh. opportunity. Thank you. Yes. It's all about community. You know, we have to be here for each other, uh, which is a very Iranian thing. I was going to say that's your Uranus talking. (laughs) Well, part two. Uh, So hopefully Christina will join me again. So, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.